0: Hi, welcome to Master's Choice Podcast 23. Today on our podcast, we have John Umhafer. Uh, He is from the Wisconsin Cheese Makers Association and Kevin Kuhn, CEO of Master's Choice, talking about a strategic plan for U.S. dairies. Hope you enjoy And welcome to MC Podcast, episode 23. Today on the podcast, we will be uh, having uh, John Umhafer from the Wisconsin Cheese Makers Association. And also joining me in studio today is our CEO, Kevin Kuhn. Good afternoon. Hey, welcome. Um, This morning we had a little R&D meeting and... uh, thankfully kevin wore his name tag to the meeting or we were not sure if we would have known who he was you've been out and about running around all over the country here lately haven't you
1: yeah i had to go around the office and make introductions so that everyone uh everyone still remembered uh, who i was and uh made sure that uh, kind of got back in the flow of things today.
0: Definitely. Even handed out some cards just to make sure I people had I did just had...
1: just to make sure I wanted you guys to make sure that you knew who I was and how to get a hold of me if you needed anything.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely. So yeah, so we've all kind of been out running around for for a while and and I think it's been I think it's been at least four or five weeks since we've uh since we've actually sat down kind of face to face we've talked email and on the phone and what have you so i'm glad glad that you're in the in the studio today things are kind of kind of rolling we've been doing a lot of field days uh guys getting getting ready right before they're chopping silage and so that that time's coming about and so um so just just briefly what have you kind of seen out out and about as you've been out
1: so it's been, uh, it's been an interesting year. The corn crop uh, is, is pretty spotty this year. Um, most of the places I've been, the corn has been pretty good though. Um, my, most of the last month I've been out east. Uh, so I've been in Pennsylvania, New York, um, a little bit in Ohio and Ontario. Um, I've seen some good corn in all those places. Um, most all of those, those areas were really wet and cold early. Um, and so some of that, uh, you know, some of that uh, that early cold rain slowed things down a little bit. Uh, the biggest struggle right now, and I saw this especially in Ontario, is we got guys that need heat units. Yeah. Uh, the corns the corns significantly behind. Um, in fact, we went out to walk a corn plot on Friday morning in Ontario, and they had their first frost of the year. Um, wow. So you know they're already seeing nights that are getting getting down below that 50 degree mark where the corns not really growing that it's just kind of stalling. Um, so they they need a they need a warm fall and uh, and right now we're not getting it but uh you know uh, i think they've got an opportunity still to get the crop finished but uh, I, I think harvest is going to be a little delayed for little, some of those a little guys delayed for
0: for a lot of those guys
1: good hey let's uh let's go ahead and uh let's
0: get let's get john on the line remember this is john um hafer from the wisconsin cheesemakers association uh he had an article in progressive dairymen about a strategic plan for the u.s dairy so let's get him on the line and let him talk through that sounds great Today joining us on the line is John, uh, um, well I'm going to mess it up more than once, okay. Joining us on the line today is John Umhafer, and uh, John is the Executive Director of the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association. Welcome John. Thank you very much. Hey, we appreciate you joining us today, uh, John. Just give us a little background of what the uh, Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association is and what they do, and and kind of their goals and what what their what their aim is.
2: Absolutely, um, of course, cheese is synonymous with Wisconsin. I, I hope you feel that way uh, where you are, but uh, number one cheese producing state now for uh, decades and decades, and part of that uh, maybe a percent of that is because and. 1893 1893, they uh, put together the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association because the members, the the people at that time wanted to get people educated, they wanted to advocate the government uh, classic trade association, uh, a group that educates people in the industry and, 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 and makes sure that regulation is tolerable and communicates the industry's desires and so that's, that's who we are. That's who we've been for 125 years.
0: Wow. So, so John, are there other, are there other States with, um, you know, is there like a, a US um, cheesemakers association that you are also in, in part of, or is this just kind of a Wisconsin thing?
2: Well, th- that's uh, there's a mixed answer to that. There is a national cheese Institute, which is a part of the international dairy foods association out in Washington. They're, they're, uh, Task is more tightly tied to strict lobbying. They're very necessary. They're very helpful. Um, We do a lot more of the rounded work, where we will have uh, workshops for our members. Uh, They can get certain certificates through us. Um, We recognize our members because we hold the world's biggest cheese competitions. Uh, We hold a big trade show for our members, where the people come in and try to sell them cheese vats and cheese ingredients. So we're a good rounded organization where NCI and plays a big role in, in making sure that uh, Washington does the right thing by the uh, dairy
0: industry. Nice. Nice. So spe- speaking of Washington doing the right thing and, in and in, in things for the uh, dairy industry and, and for the cheesemakers. So there was a, a, you, you had a, there was an article in progressive dairy Um, about Hmm. a strategic plan for the U.S. dairy and and basically it had 10 points that you that you all uh, discussed and and kind of released so so tell me just a little bit about what what kind of precipitated this this need for this strategic plan.
2: Well we did have an unusual year in Wisconsin and that that's what precipitated it. Uh, Strong milk production growth in Wisconsin and Michigan uh, surrounding states to where we really were afloat in milk uh, earlier this year, and at the same time uh, we lost a key market in Canada. We had a, a company ultra-filtering milk and sending it up to the cheesemakers in Canada. Canada came up with its own pricing scheme that made that product uh, more affordable domestically, and in kind of a shock to the system, they they told this million-dollar excuse me a million-pound a day market that they didn't weren't needed anymore as of April one. And so that last little bit uh, broke the camel's back. And uh, we had one of our processors. That processor said, listen, we, we have lost this market. We can't take your milk anymore. And no one around Wisconsin can remember a time when a dairy processor let go of a farm and there weren't 10 people on the farm the next day trying to sign them up.
0: Right, right, exactly. That's, all,
2: that's always been the, the way it works in Wisconsin. Is milk has been a precious commodity for so many cheesemakers. But, boy, we were just uh, washing it and uh, so... What struck us is, when this happened, there was no plan. There was no sense of uh, what to do next. There wasn't a sense that we knew how to handle uh, an oversupply, or that we even knew that there was going to be an oversupply. There was, there's, you know, you, you've got private industry, and they don't always talk to each other. But some sort of overriding plan to keep growth moving forward uh, has become necessary in the industry. You know, you got big farms with a lot of investment. And they need to know that they've got a home for their milk. And then you got these giant cheese factories, and they need to know there's going to be farms around. And it, right. it's it's gone beyond the time and we can just hope and pray that uh, that those things will happen. We need to we need to plan now. And that that was the backdrop of why I thought it's time to jot down uh, what I thought were some some ideas to maybe get a conversation started.
0: Good. So so conversation started is. is so that takes an audience. So so who exactly was the audience for, for this conversation?
2: Yeah, I had a chance to uh, talk to this in, in front of a room of people, a big group of people gathered by the University of Wisconsin, which had the same notion, and that is they had a dairy summit in May after this uh, April and May incident happened in the state. They said, well, maybe we should get together and talk. And they asked people to come in and present their thoughts on how can this not happen again in Wisconsin? What do we have to do to, to get our act together? And this is what I presented to that uh, about 300 people at a conference in Wisconsin.
0: Okay. Okay. And, and then, but as a whole, you know, you, you wanted to get, who you wanted to get industry talking. You wanted to get the government talking. I mean, were, was this directed right at Canada? So, so who all, who all kind of needs to be involved in this strategic plan?
2: Well, most definitely it has to be picked up by everyone nationally. And, and, you know, there are mechanisms to do that. And, of course, DMI, the, the big marketing organization for dairy, plays a huge role and could even lead such an effort and was just throwing ideas out. And you'd like to see the International Dairy Foods Association involved because everyone's got pieces of this puzzle. Some of them are doing the marketing. Some of them are doing the regulatory work. But there's not one big plan and it would be wonderful to see all those groups, the big groups, even the big cooperatives, the big private companies get together and talk about the big picture. I, I think it'd be a, a great way to have this move forward.
0: Definitely. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. So so just kind of uh let's let's walk through these these ten steps or ten. Parts or, or um, you mm-hmm. know, the, these ten priorities. I think is is the way that you you labeled them. So so your your first priority there was expand research and development. Walk, walk us through that mm-hmm. and what you think that that needs to look like.
2: Well, you know, I've I've kind of had these in three camps. They so got ten ideas, but one of the camps is that we're a little. It seems to me Derry's a little behind the times on on opportunities in research and development and marketing. We're we're an industry that spent a lot of time selling bulk product to people in a bulk fashion. And if you haven't noticed, things have changed at the supermarket in the last 20 years and the, the consumer is looking at coconut water milk and, uh, almond milk. And they're looking at now there's vegan cheese out there and the dairy industry is still humming along, making a lot of cheddar and mozzarella and, uh, So the first thing, and I think it is the highest priority, the first one I thought of was we need a massive effort to expand research and development in dairy. We make great products, but are we making exactly what the next generation of consumer wants? Are we making in the size they want, in the package they want? Is Is that package green enough for them? Is it local enough, the stuff we're making for them? Does it melt the way they want it to? Does it taste the way they want it to? Does it it have enough international flair? I think that uh, a lot of what we make in the dairy industry is what we made 40 years ago. And so we have to reach out and get into the mind of these people and then produce products with R&D. I know a lot of cheesemakers that have no R&D. They simply make what they've always made. Uh, It sells well. It tastes great. But we need to get we need to get food scientists just ensconced in every dairy plant in this country, thinking up uh, new ways to do
0: what we do. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, John, this is Kevin Kuhn, uh, uh, CEO here at master's choice. And it's kind of interesting, yeah. you know, I, I've been, been listening in as you and Mark have been discussing this. And, um, as you're talking about this research and development push and the fact that, um, Things have really changed at the supermarket. They've changed with that that end user. You know, we're we're seeing the same things happening on our side of the table in the seed industry, and as it affects the dairy markets. And you know, we're we're seeing a lot of these big integrators that are uh, that are really coming on board and trying to uh, uh, trying to line up product supply. And you know, the consumer wants to know uh, where is their product coming from. Um, and you know, it's opening up all types of different specialty markets within. Uh, mm-hmm. Within the dairy industry, not just the dairy industry, but but all aspects of of consumer supply. But you know, it's it's interesting, you know, because uh, a lot of the things you're talking about, we're we're also seeing on the seed side of things. John. Yeah, and
2: then on your side, you've got issues of uh, GMOs and
1: <laughs> definitely and
2: pesticides, and there, there's just so many stories, uh, crossing stories that need to be told, and mm-hmm. and why we do the way we do things, and, and maybe we're using uh, too much. Too much of our uh, you know, fertilizers or too much of our pesticides are not enough, you know. I, I think there's always room for R and
0: D. Absolutely. I, I think that you're you're exactly right there. I, I wanna I wanna go back and, and, and touch on something and and so maybe this is a little bit ticklish to, to kind of poke at, but you know, you said the consumers mm-hmm. wanting coconut milk and almond milk and, and some of these, you know, vegan cheese. Do those have a place within the within the context of, of the of the dairy market? I mean, th- does the does the guy who's out there milking a thousand cows does he need to be does he need to be thinking about that? You know, I mean is is that is that a is that a group that we all need to get together and, and talk or 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 is this kind of, you know, how how do you see that working?
2: Well, honestly, I think that dairy had some large percentage of market share in what you might call a daily beverage, not a specialty beverage that you might have at a ballpark or at a, at a party, but, day to day, it used to be that gallon of milk in the middle of the table. And I'm not so sure that, that we're not more like uh, friendly rivals with say the coconut milk people or the soy milk people. Um, there is some crossover I know in the processing, but they are trying to take that moment when somebody uh, eating a meal grabs something to drink, and so there's only so much, as they say, share of stomach. Right. So they're going to either grab a, a, an energy drink or a, a Gatorade or a milk, and, and now there's about 20 options they have, if not 50, where there used to be just a handful. So I'm not sure we're necessarily partners. I think I think it's a healthy competition, and dairy just can't assume that people are going to grab milk anymore.
0: Right. So So let's... But let's let's use this term, milk. I mean, should we call coconut milk milk? Should we call almond milk milk? I mean, last time I checked, there were no udders on a coconut or an almond.
2: <laughs> I actually do agree with the, the philosophy that I believe in the way that FDA defined milk, and that is that milk comes from a lactating animal. Right. Uh, when when you say almond milk, you know what you are doing, and that is you are borrowing all the goodwill that dairy milk created for a hundred years. You're borrowing that word, uh, without our permission.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And borrowing <laughs> so, without permission is called stealing, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's what I, I, that's that's I was right. taught, was taught. <laughs> that's right.
2: So that, that's a, a sound fight that's been happening out there at the national level. Uh, we support hundred percent, uh, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin has put out a regulation or a, a bill Calling for uh, the FDA definition to be the official definition of milk. And that is, again, the lactating animal is what milk is. So we're, we're 100% with you there.
0: Good deal. Hey, let's, we'll, we'll get back on it. So we talked about expanding uh, number one priority was expanding research and development. You, you said, uh, on, in the article there, number, number two, and maybe these aren't in any order maybe they are, but, but number two would be gross sales and marketing. Why, why is that so important and how do you see that happening?
2: Well, simply because, uh, you know, an anecdote I've told over the years is most of my members for most of my career and I've been at this 25 years, would run a factory that would make millions of pounds of great cheese a year, and they never had a salesperson, and they never had a marketing person. And when you say that nowadays, it sounds kind of mind-boggling, but they simply uh, would wait for the phone to ring from the guy who bought from them last week. Okay, And that is not modern sales and marketing.
0: No doubt, and yeah. And so
2: we we need to, if we're going to face all these competitors, we've got to get aggressive in how we make our packaging look how we're targeting our markets, maybe looking for new markets. If you've always sold to the East Coast, maybe it's time to look to the West Coast or or to Korea or to China. Um, Basically, that takes boots on the ground, right? Everyone should have a marketing staff. They should have a website. They should be on Facebook. They should be on social media. And uh, we're way behind that. in in most cases uh, there's a lot of room for growth
0: And no, i I would agree with you you know i I, as i travel the country and look around and and meetings and and trade shows and everything you know the guys that um the guys that are that are doing artisan cheese you know they they seem Mm -hmm. to kind of get this idea of sales and marketing and 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 being able to kind of um you know, promote their product. I, and I, 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 you know, just one of them comes to mind and, and is Jasper Hill over in, over in Vermont, you know, I mean, they, right. you know, right. their, their marketing Great is, cheese. yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, they've, they've got, you know, we, we, you know, we've got special caves and they market it this way and everything, but I, I think you're right. I, I think that, that it kind of goes back to that thought where, you know, used to, uh, and, and I'm, and I'm not the, the, the oldest horse in the barn here at master's choice, but you know i can remember as a kid you you had you had three options at supper and it was water milk and maybe tea right and mm-hmm. and now you know i mean and so so you were always you were always gonna have have that option of milk and, and and so so maybe those guys back then they, they didn't have to market it they didn't have to that's right yeah right. you know because it was just it was just it sold a, itself. A, it, it did it, it sold itself and and I think we're getting to to that point now where where some of the dairy industries just getting beat in in the sales and marketing avenue that makes sense
2: yeah you know the Jasper Hill folks and the and the LeClaire Farms and the folks out west they tend to be new to the industry. And, and they come with their new ideas saying, well, of course I'm going to market this and make the package look pretty and tell my story on a website. Of course I am, because they came from outside and they have different ways of thinking about
1: marketing. You know, I, I heard an interesting statement uh, at one of our meetings recently that, you know, that looking at U.S. agriculture, we're, we're one of the few industries that, that we uh, we purchase inputs at retail and turn around and sell products at wholesale. Um, you know, and it's kind of, it's almost backwards and, and, you know, a lot of things you're talking about here with sales and marketing are giving guys an opportunity to kind of overcome some of that and create some, some margin for themselves and create a, a place in the marketplace. I believe
2: there's margin to be had even, even instantly. I think many people don't realize what their retailer would be willing to pay if they were pushed yeah uh, that's why
0: that's why you get a salesman well and speaking about paying number number 3 on the list for the for the priorities uh was end federal pricing okay so I, so i i want to hear you talk through this one this is this one was really interesting to me
2: <laughs> yeah this is uh an age old story because these are 1930s regulations you know our industry's got a lot of Free market principles but when it comes to milk price you better pay that class three government set milk price each month or you will be audited by the federal order in your area and be made to pay it with a penalty so that part of the system is is the rare relic of a, of a very much a socialized i'm not going to say socialism but it's a socialized concept of everyone in an area should get the same milk price no matter where they are in a you know 100 mile radius because milk is milk. And uh, I, would, I would argue that today uh, the value of milk will depend on its end use. And if you're selling to a folks like Jasper Hill and they're getting $26 a pound for your milk, uh, maybe you're going to make a little bit more money than someone who's making something else. And, but that's not how it works in the dairy industry. It's still a government-set price that uh, aligns everything to cheddar on the cheese side. It lines things to butter and nonfat dry milk on the on the powder side, but that powder might be something very high value, like a, a fraction of, of whey protein that's got lactoferrin in it for babies, and yet you're still pricing it off a of nonfat dry milk. So it's just a system that's uh, outlived its usefulness. And you know, on the on the commodity side, you folks discover a price every day and at the Chicago Mercantile or other Definitely. places, and, and Price moves based on market, not based on the government stepping in and saying today's hog belly price is X. Yeah, it's just an old system that that isn't needed given the fact that a we could we can discover a price quick for milk if we got rid of these, and b there's tools to hedge, in case you're worried about the price going up and down too fast. You can you can hedge those markets, so uh, we we could phase them out over time. They're just uh, they've outlived their usefulness.
0: So I, I know that there are companies out there who are dealing directly with farmers Um, and, you know, they, they may be, you know, there, there's some, there's some form of, of, of dairy product and maybe it's yogurt, maybe it's cheese, but, but, you know, there's these companies out there says, look, we're going to go directly to the farmer and we're going to, we're going to Kind of set a milk price for for five years. We're gonna we're gonna guarantee a milk price for five years. How are they getting around the this kind of uh, class three regulation, so to speak?
2: Because there is in each farm bill an opportunity to forward contract for milk, but the problem with that program is that it should be permanent, and that slowly I think would take over the other program, but it's only let to live. Farm bill to farm bill. And so you don't know as a processor, you can only set that price with that farmer for as long as a farm bill term. After that, you might find that it's struck down and you're breaking the law. So there has been efforts over the years to take that idea of forward contracting as a permanent feature where a processor and a farmer could set a price together. But right now, it's still farm bill to farm bill, and so uh, it's it's not a permanent solution yet. But it's on the right track.
0: Yeah. How, how how come? And maybe this is just you know, if you've got a crystal ball there in front of you, you can you can tell me. But how, how come more more um, processors aren't doing that kind of thing? I mean, it, it just kind of makes sense that look, you know, the processor's stabilizing the market for himself and, and for the farmer. How, how come how come there aren't more processors out there doing that?
2: It's true. There's there's not a lot of that being exercised. One thing is it's, it can't be done on the class one side. That is to say the, the beverage or milk side, they're not allowed to do it. It comes down pretty much to cheese and the butter powder markets. I think you have to have a level of sophistication to do it. Have somebody on staff that knows what price to set and how to hedge against that price you set so you don't lose your uh, bottom line. Sure. And uh, when you talk to a typical cheesemaker, they don't have a, a market analyst on staff. They just got a guy making cheese. So again, it's market sophistication. We, we, we haven't really built up those systems to where you could have that uh, happening on a regular basis. So it tends to be the big guys that do it with the bigger farms where everyone's kind of got backing and white collar people thinking about it.
0: Sure. Sure. That makes sense. So number four on your on your list here um, was unite production and processing. Is that kind of what we've been talking about here?
2: A little bit, yeah there's it, it's it goes back to uh, are we gonna argue all the way to the grave <laughs> while well, coconut milk kicks over the uh market we're gonna argue about hey, I didn't get the big enough premium this month, and hey I need a I need a a rebate on my hauling allowance this month, <laughs> meanwhile you know they're the people that uh making the buy beverage are laughing all the way to the bank it, it, the industry needs to i think get a strategic plan that puts us on the same page so we don't think of each other as antagonists or adversaries. And farmers and processors got to think like they're on the same team and the other team is all the other beverages and all the other uh, vegans that want to take over the world. Definitely. We are not each other's enemies
0: yeah and that, that,
2: that's basically the point of that
0: one you know and, and i and i think you're exactly right i mean we we see that in agriculture all the time i mean even in commodity agriculture you know sure. the 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 farmer you know the the farmer and the and the elevator they're you know you know they're they're not always seem like they're on the same page but they're on the same team but but they are and i could see how that would definitely um benefit you know uh, moving forward and, and definitely you know, going against some of these other things that that are that are taking over that milk market.
2: Yeah, the farmer's got to fight for your ability to innovate with new products and, and not have uh, the government, you know, step in and try to regulate you. You guys got to you got to think like a team too, and I, and I hope the producers do back you up when you are R and Ding out there on your side of the
0: business. Definitely definitely. So number five is embrace all species. So we have talked about, you know, <laughs> coconut milk and, and almond milk and, and, and all of those things kind of being on a separate team, but putting all of the, all of the lactating uh, mammals on, on one team and, and buddy, Hey, if you can do that, that, that'd be amazing. I, I mean, that, <laughs> that, that's not, that's almost like Middle East peace accord right there. <laughs>
2: right. It's uh, it's funny how uh, the dairy guys, I think they look down their nose a little bit at the goat folk and uh, sheep. Nobody knows what a sheep farmer is, <laughs> not for milking anyway.
0: Right, no doubt. But it's
2: coming on, and it's so popular among the millennials is as, as gourmet product. I think when you put them all side by side, a gourmet cow cheese and a gourmet sheep cheese, they they both sell each other. They, they just say, look at how interesting dairy has become. Look at how cool it is. Um, And and we look at it differently in the industry. We think they're they're one of the other rivals out there. But to other people there, it's just another another nice animal giving us its milk to make some cheese. And if if we could co-market together, for example, uh, get our milk marketing boards to start pushing goat and sheep as well as they do cow. I think a rising tide will lift all the boats.
0: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a great point there. And, and you're right. You know, so grow, I, I grew up in Texas, and I can tell you that that as a as a boy growing up, you know, the sheep farmers and the cattle farmers were were on different sides of the fence for sure, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and still are. I, I would say, but but I think you're right. I, I think that I think that there's some collaboration there. That as people get together and and hey, you know and and to be honest with you, some of those some of those sheep and, and, and goat uh, cheese producers and milk producers, they've gotten they've taken some of the the, the uh, um, uh, cues, I guess you would say, as is how to market things. I mean, they're actually marketing better better than a lot of just straight um, cow milk kind of guys.
2: Sure. Yeah, in the grocery store, you see the the regular cheese area where there, you see a lot of the shredded cheese and such. But those cheese islands in the store, where you get the the gourmet, that's always a mixture of the three species. Yep, right. And there's even uh, blended cheeses. You got half sheep, half cow. So we're we're hardly enemies. We're definitely uh, definitely closer than we realize.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So, number six on your list was building brand expertise. So, explain that, and and especially as I as I understood it after reading the article, you know that seems kind of related to the to the sales and marketing thing. But but you've got it differently. Why is that? Why is six separated out from you know building brand expertise broken out from marketing and sales?
2: Well, because I think it's one step higher up the ladder. I think the folks I know that don't really have a brand, and I could name 50 companies in Wisconsin, that they sell their cheese through a supermarket and it says uh, IGA on it or Publix. Um, they, even they need to learn how to, to, to make a sale, maybe improve the margin, uh, improve their marketing to different parts of the country. You can do all that without a brand, but but when you've really matured, you then take the next step and you get a brand out there in the marketplace with an identifiable color and look and logo. And then you take ownership of your name of your product. And then with Hope, you you build even a higher margin. So I I think they're related, certainly. But I think when you're branding, you reach the very pinnacle then of being a good marketer. And so many cheesemakers are not at that point. They're not enough there yet.
0: And and so, but the ones that are they they do well, definitely, definitely. And and so, my I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a couple because your number nine is be transparent, and building a brand expertise, doesn't that kind of help help be transparent? That I know where this cheese is coming from. I know I know where my for, you know I know where my food comes from. I know I know what where this is. If if you if they can build a brand like that, does that does that kind of help? help with that transparency
2: yeah I agree with what you're saying in fact another way to say it is you become so confident in what you're doing that you put your name on it you're so transparent you got nothing to hide and you're willing to tell the consumer all about you then you put your name on it and that's what a brand really is it's you saying this is us I'm not hiding behind a, a grocery store brand anymore this is us and you know we we got great cheese Come visit our farms. Come visit our factory. We don't use any this or that, or we're this. You know, we pasture raise. You tell your story. You're proud of it, and you put your you put a brand out there. So yeah, I see they're definitely related.
0: Definitely makes sense. So the uh, the number seven and number number eight. Um, number seven is solve manure. Right. And so, so that's solved. the. I, I really like it solved the manure problem. Um, and, um, and so, so how, how do you, how do you see that helping the dairy industry?
2: Well, you know, we've, we've, there's things happening all over the country. Washington state's had some issues. Uh, we, I know New York state's had some issues with the growth of the industry and how that impacts, uh, environmental groups that get fired up about, uh, taking you on and, uh, And up in Wisconsin, there's a Kewanee County where there's big issues about manure and and how it's land applied and how it might be impacting the water supply. And it's just, all of it is not good for brand building and sales and marketing. Manure is the greatest fertilizer ever invented, but it has to be managed correctly. And if we've got more than an area can use, then we ought to throw big R&D dollars at and what we can do with the energy in that manure, the nutrients in that manure, to to take it to either new products or new uses, or more scientifically land apply it, uh, we just seem to have a problem there. If you, people inside the industry might look at me and say we don't have a problem with manure, I take care of it every day, but don't tell that to the folks that are you know spend their whole life trying to take down the dairy industry by showing pictures of fish kills and and spills and it just provides Algae fodder and people yep. that don't like, that's right. They, they just giving fodder to those people that don't like dairy in the first place.
0: No, I, and so I think, it, I think your point was, is very interesting. You know, we spend, you know, uh, lots of money, um, in, in research on, on all kinds of things, you know? So like, um uh, you know, my, my background's kind of in, in nutrition and there is a lot of money spent on, on dairy nutrition, I don't know that there is is half as much money spent on the other end of that, you know, pun intended, you know, that, that you know, how, how to managing all of this. And, and I think you're right. I think a lot of times and for a long time that we just you know, we did we you know, we haul it off we put it on the field there. We, we don't have a manure problem. It's handled. But but it's really not at that end.
2: You know, if, if they're not doing it right and, and maybe you know, once in a while this, this, this list means that maybe there's going to be a little pain and maybe the little pain is maybe every farm should have a plan to manage the way they uh, put manure on their, on their land the same way as some of the big farms are forced to do that with real nutrient management plans and fields showing uh, you know, field mapping showing where they can and will apply and rotating that every year. Now, if that's what it's going to take, I think it's probably worth the effort because we can't let manure drag the industry down. It's, it's It seems to be the one place where we've still got a problem to solve because milk itself is just the the greatest food ever uh, brought to us. But the manure side is not solved. It's It's just
0: not finished yet. We've got work to do. I agree. I agree. So the number eight is own sustainability. How do you see the dairy industry? First of all, not owning sustainability. And then how do you, you know, right now, what, what is, what is the, uh, you know, where do we stand on that? And then number two, second part of that is how do you, how do you overcome that and how do you, how do you own your, the sustainability?
2: Well, mostly just to get to that last question, we don't own it in the sense that we don't market it. We might be the greenest industry in the world, but nobody knows it. Okay. We're not telling that story. So let, that's jumping to the end. But to go back to the beginning, uh, dairy is naturally sustainable. You know, inputs and outputs don't move very far. It's all very local. Yep. And it's a it's a product made right here in the USA, and it's made in a pure natural sense, and it takes uh, something as useless as grass and turns it into to milk and of course you add your your good supplements but you know it's it's kind of a miracle that we make uh, a human food out of out of all these natural inputs and on the farm side I'm not as strong knowledgeably but uh, on the cheese plant side I don't think we've owned it in the sense that we haven't documented to any of our customers how green we are yeah have we taken steps to reduce the amount of packaging we're using or the style of packaging are we Making unnecessary truck trips you know are we are we changing to biofuel in our distribution trucks there's there's lots of room I think to to look at are we being sustainable and and, and then tell somebody about it tell them uh, that we've made changes that should make you be happier to buy dairy that we're really doing a good job of uh, keeping the planet green I just think we're not telling the story um,
0: yep yep're you're, you're right you know we, we aren't. And um, and I, I think you know on the producer level, I think that they that they know that story, and it may be even that it, that they know it so well they think everybody else does. And um, I think that happens from time to time. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So so telling the story then kind of rolls into the number nine, and we've already hit on it just a little bit about be transparent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and so so the first question. I want to ask is, why haven't we told the story? Why haven't we been transparent?
2: Well, I think it gets back to the whole issue of sales and marketing. I'm not sure we were trying very hard (laughs) to sell sell and market, and being transparent is just another way of being a good marketer. Yeah, Being transparent means uh, here's how we make this stuff. Come visit us. Come look at how we do it. Here's what we put in it. Here's how we move it around. We're happy and proud to tell you about it, tell you about our family that makes it. You have nothing to hide. You know, here's a, here's a cheese that's got four ingredients, milk, enzymes, rennet, and salt. One of the most natural foods you can buy. But we haven't taken the time to do that because we were too busy just pushing it through the door every day. So we got to step back and we got to let sales and marketers look at what we do and say, man, compared to a, a frozen dinner, which has 400 ingredients on the backside, this stuff's amazing. Let's tell the story of how clean and pure this product is. And then, you know, on the farm side, it might literally mean, uh, I, I think there's nothing better than the farm breakfast or the, the farm with tours and getting as many city folk onto farms as is humanly possible because people simply are completely cut off from how the food is made. Yeah. So that's literally being transparent is just literally letting them see what you're doing.
1: Yeah, and John, I think you're, you're spot on there, and we've talked about that here in our office a number of times, just the the fact that the the average consumer doesn't understand where their food comes from, how it's, uh, you know, how it's grown. Um, and, and as an industry, you know, not just dairy, but just an agriculture industry in general, we we make a lot of assumptions. We assume that the consumer knows what goes into producing milk and goes into producing cheese, and they, we assume that they know where where that steak comes from or whatever the product is. Um, and, and the truth is that most of our consumers are now separated from agriculture and that, you know, they don't have a background there and they don't understand that. So, you know, I think you're spot on there with that.
2: And some of what they've learned is not really applicable anymore. In fact, they, they get the wrong impression. Part of being transparent is being honest. Like a cow is a big, heavy beast. It's pretty docile, but uh, sometimes it's hard to pick them up and sometimes it's hard to move them and and maybe you got to give them a swat on the back with a, a switch but uh, it it doesn't hurt the animal it's just guiding them That people look at that and they say oh they're they're, they're hurting that animal and they don't understand that that's just a nudge to them you know there's yep. so much education that needs to happen because people not only have no idea what's going on but they're wrong ideas sometimes
0: right definitely definitely so then then you're your number 10 your, your number 10 priority, and, and maybe it's not, like I said, in, in any order, but number 10 was make the best, okay? So I, I, I kind of thought we already were, but but maybe we're not, huh? <laughs> it,
2: well, if you're going to have a strategic plan, you got to have the long uh, free throw you're trying to hit, right? We're not going to put out a strategic plan and say let's be second best. Definitely. And, you know, we don't make the best piece of cheese in the world every time, every day, but, but that's what we should shoot for. We often do. In fact, our one of our cheeses won the World Championship Cheese Contest last year for the first time in 28 years and kind of boded well for the industry. We're headed on a trajectory that is uh, ever improving, but let's make that, let's write that into the plan. Let's not say that we're going to be one of the best in the world. Let's just say that Every time someone buys a U.S. dairy product, they're going to be completely satisfied. They're going to think that they bought the best in the world.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I, I would completely agree. And, and, you know, and I think some of that kind of all rolls back around into, look, we, we've got to understand that we're not just making some commodity product here. We're, we are making the best. And, um and we've kind of we got to kind of change that mindset for all of us. So, John, I, I want to thank you for joining us. I, I, I really like I really like the, these um, these ten priorities here for for growth. I I think that you're I think that you're spot on. I hope that there are more people out there listening to you. And before we let you go, John, I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of give you the last word before we say bye. Anything else that you want to add to this? Um, you know, anything else you want to say as we as we close out?
2: Well, I'm just happy to tell you that in Wisconsin and and all over the country, you know, we may need a plan, but we're not we're not necessarily on the wrong track. It would just be better to get even more on the right track. You know, we've we've grown this industry consistently year after year, decade after decade, and a plan would just sharpen the focus. I think it's not that. Luckily, we're not an industry in a nosedive that needs a plan. Definitely. And a great time to plan is when you're doing just fine. And you want to plan to grow even higher. So the industry is in a a good position, but we definitely have to keep an eye on this next generation. And we we need to to make a plan that makes the next 125 years uh, as strong as the last 125 years.
0: Definitely. John, I want to I want to thank you for joining us. The, for those of you out there listening, remember this was John uh, Umhafer. Uh, he's the executive mm-hmm. director of the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association. John, we appreciate you taking your time and explaining this and walking through this with us today. We appreciate you calling in. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks. Take care. Yep, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, uh, so yeah, we appreciate John joining us, and and man, what a what an insightful guy! I was, that I was, was just, great. It was it was great, and I mean, and uh, just what a what a great plan! I, I really kind of hope that there are, that there are people out there who are who are listening to him, Absolutely. and um and just a just a great plan for how to uh, how to grow the U.S. dairy market. Um, I, I think one of the one of the biggest things that I that I took away from that was the fact that, you know. It, it, it all all ten of those um, you know all, all 10 of those priorities were all we're all kind of really intermingled but the idea of somebody being transparent building their own brand and and marketing their stuff and really kind of resonated and I think there's a lot of guys and a lot of cheese people and a lot of just just producers that are just pushing stuff out the door and and maybe we need to take a step back and say look we can capture more of this we can we can reach we can actually you know reach out to to the consumer and and, and really bring something to them that's going to bring some value
1: yeah and there there are growers out there now who are, who are already doing some of that that they're promoting their own brands doing a great job of that but that's not the norm in the industry right. you know so there's there's a lot of room for improvement for our industry as a whole definitely kevin what what was your what was your one big
0: takeaway from that
1: you know the biggest takeaway for me from my perspective was just all the ways that i saw that you know from a uh from a dairy product marketing standpoint the way it mirrored things happening in the seed industry um, you know, there, there's just there's a ton of overlap in in all areas of agriculture, yep. um, and I think a lot of times we we kind of get stuck in whatever our sector is where we work, and we forget about what's going on. Even you know, and even the cheese business is very closely related to what we do, yep. but but you you forget about that sometimes, and, and just seeing how much that those topics,
0: even though uh, I like cheese a whole lot,
1: a, a whole lot, in fact. I'm really interested in checking out these cheese contests. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go Google that when we get done here.
0: Yeah, yeah, if they're looking for some judges, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
1: But it's really cool to see all the similarities in in the marketplace. Definitely. Good.
0: Hey, guys, we appreciate you out there joining us today. Um, We appreciate you listening in. Remember always that we are social. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and always you can get us at seedcorn.com. Thanks for listening.